Welcome to Glorium Deo, a podcast where notable guests share stories of personal growth, perseverance, faith, and service. I'm your host, Mike Thompson. Today we're going to hear from Robert Mann. Robert Mann holds the Manship Chair in Journalism at the Manship School of Mass Communication. Prior to joining the Manship School in 2006, he served as Communications Director to Louisiana Governor Kathleen Blanco. He joined the governor's staff in 2004 after serving 17 years as state director and press secretary to U.S. Senator John Bro of Louisiana. Before his service on Bro's staff, he was press secretary to U.S. Senator Russell Long of Louisiana. He was also press secretary for the 1990 re-election campaign of U.S. Senator J. Bennett Johnson of Louisiana and communications director for the 2003 Blanco campaign. In 2015, he was inducted into the Louisiana Political Hall of Fame. Bob, thank you for joining us today with two great stories. One on the power of humility and forgiveness, the second on how we grow by serving others. Please start with the first one. Yeah, for me at least, and I think for other people too, campaigning is kind of like warfare. You play for keeps and you know you lose a campaign, you really don't have another chance to win that office until several years later and often never again. So it's just all or nothing enterprise and it's very intense and the stakes are high. And so my competitive juice. I'm not. I don't think. I don't think of myself as a really competitive person in a lot of ways. I'm not. I'm not really into sports that much, and that that doesn't really that, that competitive nature never was really something that I thought I had too much of. But I guess I discovered it when I got into to campaigns that oh okay there's my competitive nature, and the more campaigns I did the more political campaigns I did, I guess the more I decided I didn't really like that side of me. I didn't like myself in a political campaign. What I would do, what I would say, the way I would act, it just didn't make me feel good. And I look back on it with some regret and and embarrassment, some of the kind of, some of the stuff that I would do. You know, I think of one of the episodes that embarrasses me most is from my very early time in D.C., I was around a bunch of people on the Senate side and, and elsewhere who we took a dislike to Buddy Romer. I think it was, he was a maverick. He was, you know, he was kind of thumbing his nose at other members of our delegation, my boss, Senator Long, and then Senator Bro and other people. And we just took an intense dislike to him, almost obsessive. And I got wrapped up in it, came back to Louisiana when he was running for governor in, I guess it was, this would have been 19... 95 when he was running for governor, having lost the governorship after his first term, coming back and running. I was down here on a leave of absence working for the Louisiana Democratic Party. And we just went after Romer. I mean, it was sort of my job. Get up every morning was to go after Buddy Romer. We, we saw him as, as the most dangerous Republican in the race. Turned out Mike Foster won the race. We didn't really have to worry about Romer all that much in the end. But I was just obsessed with going after Buddy Romer. And one Saturday, I was asked to speak to a bunch of young Democrats who were meeting in the House chamber of the state capitol. And I wasn't aware that an advocate reporter was in the room covering this meeting. And I got up and just made just a series of, launched a series of attacks on Romer, talking insults about his father and his brother, both of whom had gone to federal prison for various crimes, called him the Romer crime family, you know, Romer was talking about his desire to fight crime in Louisiana. And I said, well, maybe he ought to start with his own family. 
I called him a racist. I don't know. I don't know. It was other. There were there were there were other insults. And the Advocate picked it up the next morning. It's on the front page of the Advocate. And you know, all my friends thought it was a. It was funny. They thought it was really entertaining. And I guess at the time I did too. I thought, wow, okay, that's you know that's good. I got I got these jabs on the front page of the paper. And then later, 13, 14, 15 years later, here I am at. I'm now working at LSU, and I invite Romer to come speak to my class one day, and he. He agrees to come speak. You know, we had we had sort of reconciled, and when we started going to First Church, Romer was a member, and I would see him there, and he was always nice to me, which kind of surprised me. Like, why are you, why are you being so nice to me? I've been so ugly and mean to you. And we were just very friendly, and we became more and more friendly. We'd see each other out at bookstores, wherever, and we would talk, and he was very generous. And it just sort of hit me one day, this guy has no reason whatsoever to be nice to me. I, I devoted a lot of years of my life to being really mean and ugly to him and, and saying insulting, horrible things about him and his family. And he just, you know, why is he being so nice to me? And I realized that, I never asked him about this, why, you know, why, but I, I realized or surmised that he had forgiven me or he, or either either that or I was so insignificant <laughs> to his life that he never noticed. I don't know which, which is the case, but for whatever reason, he wasn't holding a grudge against me. He was being nice to me. And I thought, well, it's, you know, it's, it's time for me to put that behind me and not just, you know, sort of drop it and move on, but to sort of make amends for it and acknowledge it. And so when I invited him to speak to my class that day, I introduced him to the class and I told them the story basically that I've just told you and said, I just want to apologize to you, Governor, for all these nasty things I'd said about you and the anger that I've held in my heart for you for all these years. It was not justified and it was not dignified and you didn't deserve it and and I hope I'm better than that now and I hope you'll forgive me and then I introduced him and he was gracious and our relationship got better after that and it's not like Buddy and our Buddy Romer and I go to lunch every week or anything I'm not trying to say that we became best friends but we've enjoyed each other's company when we when we see each other and I'm glad for that and I did it in front of my students because number one I wanted them to sort of see that you can I wanted to tell them in a way that you can get too wrapped up in this stuff. It's not really all that important. You can assign way too much importance to this stuff. In the heat of battle, it seems really important, and six months later, or six years later, you're gonna realize how unimportant and insignificant it was, and you're not even gonna remember what it was you were angry about, what you were fighting about. And number two, that it's not always enough just to walk away from it, that sometimes your behavior is bad enough that you ought in politics or whatever, that you do need to go and apologize and say, look, I was wrong. I said something, I did something I shouldn't have, and I hope you'll forgive me. And I just think that they needed to see that and hear that, and I needed to model that for them. And I don't know if any of them even remember it. It may not have made much of an impression on them, but it was something I felt like I needed to do. Bob, thanks for that beautiful story. I know I need forgiveness every day. Next, I hope you'll share how service to prisoners changed your own thinking. My wife and I both around the same time in the early 90s started serving in the Kairos prison ministry at Angola. She would go to the women's prison at St. Gabriel and I would go up to Angola. And I think it, I know that it changed her in all kinds of ways and it certainly changed me in all kinds of ways. Maybe the most significant was it just made me realize that I really was not any much or any better than any of those guys. I mean, they, there's a bunch of murderers and rapists and thieves and 
whatever else up there. And it's really easy for those of us on the outside to look down on those guys and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm better than they are. I've made better decisions in my life and they made terrible decisions and they're getting what they deserve. And if you spend any time around these inmates in Angola or any other prison, and maybe even more so at other prisons where there are not a lot of lifers, but these are you know, people serving five to 10 year sentences for less, less or nonviolent crimes. If you're really honest with yourself, you're gonna come away saying, you know, I'm just like those guys. They made a mistake, I didn't. They did something in, in the split decision, and that's in that moment, I didn't do that thing, but I could have. And I'm just, I'm just lucky that I didn't react that way, or that my path didn't intersect with this person in the ways theirs did. And I just came away with this sense that I still have that, that, I, that I could be in their shoes, that I was fortunate by the circumstances of my birth to be born into a family, a stable home environment, fairly stable economic environment, a good education around family and friends who loved me. I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose the economic situation of my home. I didn't, I didn't choose any of that. That just happened to me. And it didn't happen for a lot of them. And it just makes me realize who am I to, to say I'm better than them. I just lucked out to, to be born in a, in a different environment. You put me in their shoes, in their situations growing up, good chance I'd be, I'd be right where they are. I'm thinking of the verse, when did we see you sick? or in prison, or visit you. Did it come to mind at the time? Oh yeah, in Kairos you talk about that a lot. That passage from Matthew 25 is about seeing the Christ in other people and recognizing that you're not, I'm not helping Mike, I'm helping the Christ in Mike, and I, or I'm being Christ to Mike, you know. One of the things that in the spirit of that, we that Kairos taught us all, and still does teach us, is that, you know, we don't, no one is allowed to thank us for anything we do. If they try to thank us, we say, no, don't thank us, thank God. We're just God's hands and feet here in this prison. God came to see you, not me. And that is very much in the spirit of Matthew 25. Can you talk about how a small gesture involving cookies heals relationships between prisoners? Oh, yes. The churches and family members and the, the team members themselves, they bake dozens and dozens and dozens of cookies and they have them at the tables during the weekend. Also, one or two times during the weekend, we give them some bags of cookies and we challenge them to go find your worst enemy in the prison and give those cookies to that person. You know, find your enemy and use that cookie as a peace offering. You know, give, give them, just give them the cookie. Don't say anything to them. You don't have to go, you know, you don't have to spend an hour talking about why you're giving them the cookies. Just go hand them the cookie. Just, just this is some, a nice, this is a nice gift that you can give to, but we want you to think of the, the person that has the most hatred or animosity to you, or you have the most hatred or animosity to them and go give them those cookies. And then the stories that they would tell about, you know, not all of them do it. Not all of them do it. Um, it takes them a while to, even consider doing something like that. To, to some of them, it seems like a, a, an act of weakness and submission, and they can't imagine doing that. But th those that do it, it, it the, the, sto the stories of reconciliation, the stories of you know friendship that come out of that, and these two guys who hated each other, who maybe even did violence to each other, suddenly becoming friends, and then 
And then out of that comes, you know, like, wow, they see this guy, you know, he last Wednesday, he was this terrible person. Everybody was terrified of him on the cell block here. And now here Monday morning, he's like this different guy. What's going on? What happened to him? And the ripple effect of the transformation in those guys' lives is, is really profound throughout a prison because people want to know what happened to you, what's going on with you. And a lot of these men will want to say, well, how can I be like you? You know, and they'll start, you know, they'll be attracted to the next Kairos, you know. A lot of times it's the cookies and the food that bring them in, but the love is what turns their hearts around. This wraps up episode one of Glorium Deo. Thank you for listening. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe and check in here for more stories of personal growth, perseverance, faith, and service. And special thanks to Bob Mann for kicking it off with his heartwarming stories. If you liked what he said, be sure to look for his latest book, Becoming Ronald Reagan, The Rise of a Conservative Icon. Until next time, I'm Mike Thompson with the Glorium Deo podcast, and thanks again.